of God's character, they speak of God's omniscience. That is his ability to see everyone, everywhere, all the time. And when we think of God seeing all and knowing all, the reason we're afraid of that is because we know we do things we wish he didn't see and know, right? So whose fault is it that we're afraid of God? God's or ours? (laughs) It's our fault. It's not God's fault. What's the essence of God's character? 1 John 4, 8. You probably learned this in preschool, Sunday school. God is love. It's the essence of God's character. Consider that for a moment. God who knows everything there is to know about you. And see everything there is to see about you still loves you. That's real love. You know, you and I love each other, but what if we knew everything there was to know about each other? What if you knew everything of my life, past, present, and who knows what's to come in the future? What if I knew everything about your life, past, present, and what's to come in the future? What if I knew all you ever thought, did, said? And what if you knew that about me? Do you think we'd really like each other then? You know, personally, I don't want to know everything you think, say, and do. Some of those things you just need to keep to yourself. But how does God view you? How does God see you? When he looks at you, what does he think? Well, we have the Bible to tell us. And if you read the Bible, you'll understand how God views you. If you think God's a condemning, judgmental, harsh God who hates you and is out to strike you with lightning the first time you mess up, you don't know the God of the Bible. You see, God saw Abraham, a pagan idolater, worshiping idols, And he called him out and made him the father of the Jewish nation. God saw Moses, a murderer, and made him the leader of his chosen people. God saw David, a little shepherd boy. Could have chosen his bigger brothers who were stronger and bigger and more seasoned and experienced. But in David, he saw king and conqueror. Then later, he saw David, the adulterer. And the murderer. And made him a man after his own heart. Jesus is the one who taught us most about God as our father. And Jesus is the physical expression of God the father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He went so far to say, I and my father are one. Jesus saw Simon, that rough fisherman. And made him... Peter, the rock, long before Dwayne Johnson ever came on the picture. Peter was the rock through whom Jesus would start the church of the living God. Jesus saw the multitude, and you can imagine just as in any multitude of people that you would be in, if you've ever been to a concert, if you've ever been to a sporting event, the multitudes of people of all walks of life, of all backgrounds, of all makes, shapes, and models. He saw the multitude, and it says he was moved with what? Compassion, not judgment. Compassion. Not condemnation. Compassion. Why do we miss that? Jesus saw an adulterous 
dragged to her by the religious elite. But he did not condemn her. He forgave her. Jesus saw his accusers at the foot of his cross, and he cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them. Jesus saw Saul, the persecutor of his church, and he turned him into Paul, the apostle, who would write two-thirds of the New Testament. What does God see when he sees me? He sees his child, born again through the blood of his son Jesus. He sees his son in me. He sees his own righteousness in me. He sees his Holy Spirit in me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which tells us that God made Christ to become sin so that I could become and you could become God's righteousness. The Bible says in Colossians 3.3 that our life, we died. Remember, we talked about that in Romans 6. We've died to our old sinful selves. He says our, we died and our life is hid with Christ in God. So when God looks at you as his people, when God looks at me, his people, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees his spirit. He sees his righteousness. That's how God sees you. The eyes of the Father. Oh, they see everything. They're not missing anything. Beholding the evil and the good. But when he sees you, he sees a child that he loves. A child that he delights in. What about the ears of the father? Ears are a funny part of the face, are they not? Some of us have big ears. Some of us have little bitty ears. Some of us have long ears. Some of us have tall ears. Some of, has, some of us have ears pinned to our head. Some of us have ears that stick way out. Ears are a funny part of the body, aren't they? But what are they for? What are ears for? Hearing. Does God hear me when I talk to him? Dads are not known for their ability to listen. Dads are stereotypically not all dads, but stereotypically dads are known to quiet and hush and shoo away the children. We're not known for our listening ability, and sometimes that translates into our children to think that way of God, and maybe that's why you and I feel that way about our Heavenly Father is because maybe our earthly fathers didn't give us undivided attention. But listen... The Bible tells us, again, we go to the Word of God. In Psalm 18 and verse 6, the Bible says, David wrote these words, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. 
He writes in Psalm 34 and verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The ears of our Heavenly Father are always tuned to the prayers and the pleas of his children. Like a mother. You mean you're going to compare God on Father's Day to a mother exactly? Who made moms, by the way? God. Who do you think put a motherly instinct in a mother? Was it God the mother or God the father? (laughs) There is no God the mother, by the way. Sorry, ladies. There's only God the father. But God the Father had that instinct in himself, and we are all created in his image. And he put that instinct of a mother in a mother. Now, we men, when we lay down at night, all we want is sleep, right? Doesn't matter if we got 15 kids. It doesn't matter if those kids are sick or well or whatever. We won't sleep because we got to get up and go to work the next day. But what is that mama thinking about when she lays down? She's thinking about those kids. And you let one of those kids peep. You let one of those kids open their mouth in the middle of the night. Dad will never hear them. I'm being stereotypical again. I know some of you dads are much more sensitive than that today, but I'm speaking from experience. Dads will never hear them, but moms are tuned in. They jump out of bed. They run to that child's bed, and they want to know what's wrong with that baby. Who made that mama like that? God the Father. Because that's how God the Father treats his people, his children. Psalm 66, verse 19 and 20. The Bible tells us, Certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. You know, we can come to our Father anytime. He's never busy, He can never be bothered. You can't bother an omnipotent God. That is, one who's all-powerful. One who's omniscient and knows all. One who's everywhere present. You can't bother an all-powerful God like that. You can bother an earthly father, maybe, because his power and his time and his resources are limited. But when you come to God, the Heavenly Father, he cannot be bothered. So anything you bring to him is not a bother to him. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how many times you bring it to him. He is not bothered, nor can he be. He's always willing to hear and to help. The Bible tells us that in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. He speaks here of Jesus, but remember... He said, I and my father are one. We have a high priest. Now, he puts it in a double negative. How many of y'all know that a double negative equals a positive? Some of y'all forgot your English lesson. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. There's your double negative, so let's turn it around and make it what it is saying. We do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympathize. God's a sympathetic Father. And he says, and by the way, that verse says, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way you've fallen. 
every way you fall. And he said Jesus was tempted in every point. You think about the ways you have fallen into sin. Was Jesus tempted in that way? Yes, that's why he's able to sympathize with how weak human beings are. Therefore, he says in verse 16, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come to that throne room, that that place where we can ask God anything we need and even desire. Boldly, that we might find grace to help in the time of need. God's always willing to hear. God's always willing to help the ears of the Father. What about the mouth of the Father? The mouth of a portrait is also quite different to paint. And all of our mouths are different shapes and different sizes. I remember when we were teenagers, we had a smile contest. And to see whose smile was the biggest. This was in our youth group. Well, my wife won that competition. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Her smile spread from ear to ear. Some of us can't smile that big. But uh, they actually took a measuring tape and measured everybody's smile. Well, it's kind of hard to capture a mouth sometimes if you're painting. But what is a mouth for? Well, we, I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm fi- it's for eating, right? <laughs> well, that's part of it. Really, what, what are we talking about here? It's for speaking. It's for speaking. What does God say about me? We always think in human terms, and that's what we are, because that's what we are, but we wonder what others are saying about us. You ever wonder what other people are saying about you? Why do we wonder that? Because we know what we're saying about them. Do you really want to know what others are saying about you? I don't, unless it's good. If you don't think something good about me, just keep it to yourself. And tell God and pray for me. But what does God say about you? You ever wanted to know, God, just tell me what you say about me. And I'm not talking about your performance, your behavior. I'm talking about you. What does God say about you as a person? Whose word is this? Did he write it? Simple question. Did he write it? Author it? Did he inspire it? Yes. So let's see what he says about you. Romans 1, 7. If it's his word and he wrote it, everything in it is from whose mouth? I often tell children, every time you're opening the Bible, you know what you're doing? You're opening the mouth of God. Is this the word of God? Where do words come from? The mouth. Let's open the mouth of God. In Romans 1, 7, the Bible says, To all who are in Rome, what's the next word, next phrase? What does God say about you? You're beloved. You say, well, I don't live in Rome. Well, he's writing here to a group of Christians who reside in Rome. And then what's the next thing he calls them? Saints. You're beloved and you're a saint. You say, well, he's talking to these Christians at Rome. He's not talking to me. Well, let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 2 because he makes a distinction here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, to the church of God, by the way, you are the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what again? Saints. Okay, now he's talking about the people in Corinth. So I don't live in Corinth either. 
Well, let's keep reading. With all who in where? Every place, that includes Thomasville, Georgia, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So what are all who call on Jesus Christ as Lord? What are they called? Beloved of God and saints. Are you aware that people who become followers of Christ, the saved, are never referred to again as sinners in the New Testament? But that's what you say you are. But that's not what the Bible calls you as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you cannot sin. I am saying that you have a new identity. And if you walk around all the time and you just think you're just a sinner, then that's what you're going to be. But if you know by the authority of God's word that you have been called to be a saint, my friends, you will rise to the occasion. The Father calls you a saint. You have a new identity. If any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new person. You're a child of God. John 1, 12. As many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. What are you? I'm a saint. What are you? I'm a child of God. What are you? Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 1. I am, a, I am the church of Jesus Christ. First, Ephesians 5 talks about us being married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. You know what? I'm a child of God. I'm a saint of God. I'm the church and I'm his bride. Listen. You can mess with me all day long, but you start messing with my wife, I'm going to get all over your case. You leave her alone. You want to see the fire come out of my eyes? You want to see my nails grow long and my teeth sharp? Start messing with that woman right there. I'll crawl all over your case. You start messing with the church of Jesus Christ, which is the bride of Jesus Christ, he'll crawl all over your case. He loves you as I love my wife, as you love your wife. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We're the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, you are the body of Christ. Ephesians 5 says, no man yet ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes his body. I nourish and cherish my body. I want to take care of it. I want to protect it. I want to keep it healthy as I possibly can be. Jesus said, that's the way I do my body, my people. I nourish it and I cherish, cherish it. He cherishes you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Tell us what else we are. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Verse 10 says, you were one time not a people, but now you are the people of God. That's what God's mouth says about you. The eyes, the ears, the mouth. Well, what about the nose? You know, noses come in all shapes and sizes and maybe the funniest feature on our face. You say, well, does the Bible talk about God's nose? 
Well, not exactly. I've looked. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Or look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32. He goes into this long discussion about telling us not to worry about anything. And he concludes it with this. For after all these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father, what? There it is. <laughs> what does the Father do? <laughs> he, he knows. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> but it's a good point. The Father knows. What does He know? You know, <clears throat> what do we say when somebody wants to know something that they shouldn't know? What are they called? Nosy. <laughs> Nosy. Mind your own business. Keep your nose out of it. Well, the Father knows everything. What does He know about you? Well, He knows your need. Some of you here today are in great need. I would imagine all of us here today are in great need. Some of you do not tell a soul about it. It's just between you and God. God knows your need. He says, don't worry about these things. He said, all, after all these things, the, those who are without God worry about it. He said, but I know your need. He knows you. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 5, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you before I ever created you. He knew exactly what you were going to be, exactly what you were going to do. The days fashioned for you, Psalm 139 says, were determined. And he knows what he thinks about you. Listen to these verses. These are very precious verses. Listen to Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know what? God is constantly thinking about you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand... God says, God's word says that he knows the thoughts he thinks about you. He's thinking about you all the time. Cannot even be counted. And maybe some of you are still saying, well, you know, yeah, I know God's thinking about me. He's thinking about all the bad things I do. He's thinking about how I need to be disciplined and changed and all that. Well, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, which you know, he says, God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Listen, you don't argue with God. The Father knows that His thoughts towards you are thoughts of good and not of evil. They're precious thoughts. They're countless thoughts. Matthew 10 gives us a great picture of the Father's knowing us. He says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Let's say a penny. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you're of more value than the sparrows. Think about those little birds that are out there that you see by the hundreds, by the thousands. 
He says, not a one of them falls to the ground that the Father doesn't know it. He said, but I want you to understand something. I know the hairs of your head. He's counted. He knows how many hairs are right there right now. The Bible says he knows the numbers of the stars that are in the universe, and he calls them each by name. Such knowledge, the psalmist said, is too wonderful for me. I cannot begin to imagine somebody knowing that much, but he knows the hairs of my head. Now, why is that a deal? Why we even talk about, why would God even worry about telling me that he knows the numbers of the hair on my head? He wants me to understand something that we see in this passage, that he is so concerned about us. He thinks of us so highly. He values us so greatly that no detail of our lives escapes his notice. Not even a number of hair on your head. And he knows who belongs to him. He said in John 10, 14, I know my sheep. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, he said the Lord knows those who are his. He knows this morning those of you who are his children and those of you who are not. And you say, well, wait, I thought we're all children of God. No, we're not all children of God. We're all creations of God. You become a child by being born again into God's family. Jesus told Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. He said in, first, in John 1.12, he came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many as do receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You're a child of God this morning or you are not, and Jesus knows who is and who isn't. I don't have to know. That's not my business. He knows. My business is just to tell you what the Bible says. Now, I want to wrap all this up, dads and all of us. Think about how you relate to your children. You know, we've had this discussion probably two or three times this week, is that no matter how tough a guy is, no matter how tough a guy is, he could be a member of a motorbike gang, he could be tatted from head to toe, he could have muscle, muscles bulging out of his muscles. Doesn't matter. Most men, decent men, have something that pulls at their heart. And many times, it's their children. You think about how you relate to your children. I think about how I relate to mine, when they were growing up, even now. I love them. Nothing I wouldn't do for them. I'd give my life for them. I'll protect them with, every, with my last breath. Whatever they would ask for, if I didn't think it was wise for them, I would help them see why I didn't think it was wise. If I thought it would be good for them, then I would find a way to provide it for them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 9 and 10, What man is there among you if his son asked for bread, would give him a rock? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Jesus is telling us that even we, Human beings who are sinful, we, we know how to give good gifts to our children. But then he says in verse 11, 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I don't know if you're an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, but that ought to be highlighted and underlined. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? You know what the point is? Is you can't out-father God. You think you're a good dad? You ain't near what God the Father is. But why do so many feel that he is so distant, so harsh, so unloving, so condemning when he uses you as an example of him? If you know how to love your kids, how much more will he love you? We can't and don't view our children in a more loving way than God views us. We can't and we don't listen and respond to the cries, the pleas, and the requests of our children better than God does for us. We can't and we don't speak kinder, gentler, more loving words to our children than our Heavenly Father says to us. We don't know more about or care more for our children, their lives, their needs, and their wants than God knows and values and cares about us. God is the ultimate daddy. Come to him. Come to him. He loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. What a beautiful portrait we have in your word, Heavenly Father, of who you are. Would you please forgive us for our wrong views of you? It's kept us from you. We've allowed the devil to deceive us and our own human frailties and sinfulness to keep us from you. But, oh God, thank you for the reminder today of the Heavenly Father you truly are. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's not a child of God, that's never been born again, that's never received Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for their sin for themselves. May today be the day that they make you their father and you make them your child. If that's you this morning, would you just pray a simple prayer with me? The prayer is just a way of you calling out to the father. Remember, he hears your cry. But if you need to be saved, if you need to have God to be your father, Jesus to be your savior, and you want him to make you his child. You can borrow these words. First of all, say something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have offended you in many ways. I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on the cross and shed his blood my sins will you please forgive me of my sins 
and save me and make me your child. Thank you for saving me. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here that prayed that prayer, Lord, and I know you heard them, and your word promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I pray that you'd help them to follow you now, to be obedient to you, to listen to you, to talk to you, to love you, to come to you. And help us as a church to help them in their new walk with Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand to sing.